Alrighty, so we just gave these guys some questions, and once again, the questions are just a tool, and we'll just see where we go. Um, and then, as we said, we love questions, so as we go, if you have a question, just maybe write it down, and we'll have a time where we can ask either Sam and I, or probably these guys, those questions. Um, so Dave, maybe I'll just start with you. Um, that question I put there, Jesus, before his death, could have prayed for a number of things, and yet he chooses to pray his disciples would be one with him and his Father. What is your personal revelation from the Spirit as to why he prayed for oneness, unity? You know, I, I really think it um, brings to light the importance of the Spirit of oneness and unity. And even as we, you know, we spoke yesterday of a couple instances and historically seeing the model in Genesis of the first thing of oneness uh, between man and woman. Um, I just really believe that that's what he wanted to evaluate or I'm give value to, uh, you know, as he's going on to what he needed to do, but this understanding that it's available, it's important. This is really what I want you to, uh, to place a value on. So to me, I think that's really what it speaks to me. Awesome. Johnny, have you got some thoughts, mate? Yeah, I, the, the kingdom of God is such a unique thing because we enter in entirely on personal decision. Um, he, he comes to me and he says, he commands, come follow me and you can't make that decision for me and, and I can't make that decision for anybody else. And we enter this kingdom on personal confession of him as Lord and belief that Jesus was raised from the dead. And yet when we enter, we actually lose personal entity and identity. We become a part of a whole. And this thing of oneness, I... I want to be able to pour the goodness of God back over the goodness of God and in and of myself, I can't worship him like that. It, it, it requires this, this whole bride and I just want him to be adored and for him to be adored in the way that he deserves to be adored. I can't be that on my own. And, and so there's this invitation of oneness to, collectively learn what it is to pour the perfume of our lives in oneness over the feet of Jesus. And, and that just gives me such thanksgiving for every other part of the body that I myself am not. Amen. Amen. Sam. Yeah, I think um, for me, and I know that Dave, you touched on this um, yesterday um, in, in your session in the morning, and, you know, to me when I'm thinking about, you know, what is the context for these scriptures and why is Jesus praying so fervently that the church would be one? It, it's be, In my mind, it's because everything that he says is set in this context of an eternal marriage covenant, you know? And, and Dave, like you shared um, on um, in the morning session, you know, the, the first mention of oneness was about this covenant between a man and a woman and the two becoming one flesh, you know, and um, it, it just reminds me of, of Ephesians, you know, and, and, and Paul says that this, this two becoming one is a great mystery, but he's talking in reference to Christ and the church, you know, and so when Jesus prays that the two would be one, 
And it, it just, you know, in, in, in John seventeen twenty six, it says, "I've I've made your name known. Uh, I've made your name known to them, and I'll make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them." And I in them, you know, and that in the context of a marriage covenant, Christ has loved us, but the oneness that he's looking for is is that the love that he has for us just wouldn't stay external of us, that the love that he's loved us with would be the love that is actually um, formed in our hearts that we'd love him with the same love that he loves us with. And so there's this this divine unity between the reality that exists in him and what exists in us. And so in the context of this this great mystery, this marriage covenant between Christ and the church, which is a mystery that's been hidden in such plain sight through all of human history, you know, like right from the beginning of Genesis, God makes his intention entirely clear. And I don't know if, if there's anyone here that's read their Bibles before at all. <laughs> but if you have read your Bible, you'll see that the mystery of the marriage is hidden in absolute plain sight right from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. So why is it a mystery? And is it a mystery if we've been talking about it every day for the last three days, multiple times a day, multiple times a session, and when Greg doesn't have an opportunity to preach in a session, he'll talk about it probably, you know, 40, 50 times in between sessions, you know? Is it really still a mystery? That's great. If it's right out in the open, but it's a mystery not because it's, hasn't been written or hasn't been spoken. It's a mystery because it needs to be made real. And Paul says that there was a grace that was given to him to bring to light the administration of the mystery that's been hidden in God so that the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known through the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So Paul's not about the articulation of a mystery. He's about the administration of it. So the the, the mystery of the marriage covenant wouldn't just be something that we dialogue about. It'll be something that we enter into. And that's what his heart's for, this administration of the two becoming one. So that we have not just sessions over a number of days about talking about becoming one, but there's actually an administration of true spirit-birthed oneness in our hearts and in our minds. And so that we can actually love him with the love that he's loved us with, and the two have actually become one in reality, substance, power, in our inner realm, our inner world, us and him, him and us, the two becoming one, you know? So. Yeah. And isn't Jesus, even the oneness of what you've said there regarding this mystery, but yet it's been spoken about and it's in front of us and Jesus is the mystery. You know, so Paul writes in Colossians 2, 2, that every wisdom, I'll read it out. Um, this is Colossians 2, 2, that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. And it goes on, it says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Jesus himself is a mystery to mankind, doesn't he? And yet he came in the physical form and started to speak. 
And so he's the unseen one. And this mystery of the marriage covenant is contained in him. And this is the whole journey, which is the oneness again. So everything is a mystery because God has concealed it all. And it says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. And the question you have to ask yourself is why? Like why does God conceal things? And the answer is because he's actually looking for those who love him. Because it's connected to a marriage at the end of this. So he's looking for who actually loves him and who only says they love him. But you can't find this outside of him. And so in that, he's going to know your love for him because you will ask, seek, and knock. And want to know all the mysteries. And yet Paul also says, which I love, he says it's a great mystery. So it says the church are to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, correct? Mysteries. And it says in 1 Corinthians 4.1 that the church are to be stewards of those mysteries. But the greatest mystery within all the mysteries is this covenant between Christ and his church. So if we don't have the greatest mystery down, then we only make sense of all the other mysteries because the first gives context to every other mystery. Hence, the commandment is to love God with all your heart because if you're in a marriage covenant in the flesh, the commitment that you make is to love the person with all you are, isn't it? And vice versa. And there is to be no other lovers in that context, in that covenant, because it's a covenant of two, correct? And the two are to become one based on love, now, that's human love, which we know is conditional, and it's actually flawed. But it's a foreshadowing for us of what's in God, which is the greatest mystery. So like God does, God gives us foreshadows, doesn't he? Like the law was a foreshadow. It was not the substance of Christ. Okay? So God gives us all these foreshadows, types, so you can see them tangibly to help you connect with something spiritual because if he removes it, you're lost because we can't see God. So you have to hear God. So that's why God sent God, Jesus, in the form of a man so we could actually sort of connect, but he's still unseen and he's still what he speaks of mysteries. So we don't understand and we don't know him, even though we can eat with him, and that's the picture of the disciples. So this oneness, and the reason why there's a oneness and why he prayed for oneness, because he's praying in context. So Jesus, what he's praying for, is always in context to what he's looking at. So when it says the joy set before him, he knows exactly what that joy is and what he's looking at when he goes that cross, because it's part of the breaking, the bringing together of something that got lost, and now he's the fulfillment to bring his possession together. But if his position is unaware of the main context of why he went the cross, we're left thinking it's about heaven and hell and sin, not sonship, and then going from sonship into being one with God. And this is why I said before, there's food on this table, and it's multiple food. Like it's not one food, there's different foods. So there's chicken, there's roast spuds, there's beef, there's lamb, there's pork. Even pork, eh? Even pork. <laughs> so there's an entire spread, and every substance of food is the 
promise, but within this, it's the context for all of this is one thing. And Jesus knew it. So Jesus prays everything into what he's looking at. And that's why we are to pray into what we're looking at, not just prayer or pray things that are like missing the board. It must be, as Dave said, in alignment to the will of God, because those are the prayers that God activates. Yeah. So it's not my will, it's his will prayed into being. And so all of heaven gets behind his will that's coming out of your mouth. And so that divine connection, and so then he's hoping that a church that may be living, I'm just going to say it, spiritual adulterous lives with other lovers would actually come to taste of a love that would have them leaving other lovers and become one with their lover. Because adultery can be forgiven, correct? And he is forgiving it. So the typology of physical adultery, which can be forgiven, spiritual adultery can, but you've got to go that place and not just think this is all about physical because you cannot physically commit adultery with your wife but be spiritually committed adultery to Christ because your wife has become your lover, not Christ. And you hear what I'm saying? And, and in my, you know, to me, when I hear about that adultery, it's the, the weight of it. And, you know, and this is the beauty of it, that the weight of saying you adulteresses do not know that friendship with the world is hostility or adultery towards God. Is It's almost like he's both convicting and reconfirming his promise at the same time. You know, because why is the church an adulteress? Because she's actually in covenant with God. But her... her her, her life, the expression of her life is living beneath who she's called to be, you know? And, and so that to me is why Paul in, in, in 2 Corinthians is saying, I'm, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. And his heart is so fervent for her because she's in a covenant and either she's unaware and because she's unaware her life doesn't reflect or she is aware but she doesn't have the capacity or willingness to... Um, to either want to change or, you know, and, and so, you know, the, he, he's saying, guys, I've actually called you for something that's so much more than what you're living living for currently. So, But if you were to see the value of me and what I've called you for, actually you wouldn't be groveling in the things that your life is about anymore. You'd be, um, you know, li- living for food that perishes, uh, living for food that perishes, Working, uh, not working for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life. You'd, you'd stop groveling for pig's food and start eating pork. Hey. <laughs> before, before I ask the guys their thoughts, this is Johnny mentioned the message of the kingdom. And this is all attached to the message of the kingdom. So you have to be very clear in your heart and your mind that there's two messages. Okay, so there's John the Baptist message, which was a message of repentance for sin and iniquity. Okay, then there's the kingdom message where Jesus said, "Repent, because the kingdom is at hand." So there's two repentance that's required. There's the repentance from sin and iniquity. Then there's the transformation of your mind repentance because the kingdom 
is now at hand. Now, unfortunately, the church has really predominantly only preached John the Baptist's message. Stop. So what we're talking about now with this marriage covenant is a kingdom message, okay? which Jesus was the one bringing. Jesus didn't teach turn from your sin stuff. That was John's reality because it's preparing the people of God for the kingdom message that Jesus was carrying. Okay, So it's one message, but there's two parts. Two become one. But the problem is, We've, uh, we've just really locked on to John the Baptist's message and then we walk away because we don't understand the kingdom because repent means metanoia. You need a brand new way of thinking because you're from the kingdom of the world. So you've been saved from your iniquity and sin. The Christ has resurrected you out of that world. Now he's placing you into a brand new world called the kingdom of God, which is on earth, not in heaven, on earth. Okay? So now you have to relearn every single thing because you don't know what this kingdom is. You don't know the value system of it. It says you shouldn't love one another more than you love me. It says you don't have these idols in your life, which you had when you were living in this world. Now, love is the divine, it's the covering, and grace is going to empower you out of that into this kingdom reality. So then Jesus gives a kingdom parable of the sower of the seed. And he says, if you don't understand this through Revelation, you won't understand any of the parables. You won't understand the parable of the virgins. You won't understand why there's five and five, and you will say those five are lost people, and those five are not, uh, those are lost, those are saved. It's not, it's 10 saved, but you won't understand. So when you don't understand the kingdom, you read it through your lens and go, Oh, they didn't get in, so they must be lost people. Because you don't have revelation of the kingdom of God message. You're still looking through the lens of John the Baptist message. So that's the gospel you believe, that's the gospel you preach, that's the gospel you live, and you're missing out on the covenant that God made with us because you don't understand the scriptures or the power of God. But you think you might do. See? So if we don't understand that, how can you understand the great mystery, which is a kingdom message? You don't, and you won't. And your life, what Sam's saying, will be the reflection of that. And so God wants to give you an opportunity. So he turns up with this type of message. And you're all hearing about it today, aren't you? Or are you listening? You see, there's a hearing and a listening. And a hearing and a hearing. And it must be heard that you go, weren't our hearts burning when Greg, Sam, Dave and Johnny started to talk about the marriage covenant. Now, if it's not, maybe it's not your time. Maybe it's not your time to hear that because God is speaking to you about other things. But I hope at some point it is. Because you were created to be one with God. Not one with one another first, but one with God, then one with one another. So maybe it's not your appointed time. Maybe it is. Maybe it is, and you're unaware. And that's what I just did right here. That demonstration I did is exactly what's happening right now. Don't separate those two things. Don't separate the analogy at the table. This is all one and the same thing. But we must be able to recognize, correct? Correct? 
Like if you can't recognize it, you won't acknowledge it. If you don't acknowledge it, you won't turn. And if you don't turn, you won't receive revelation. So when it is spoken, if I don't hear it, because hearing is the first, and it's not hearing, it's hearing, which then draws. Weren't our hearts burning when he shared him? They moved. They were moved somewhere from one to another. And so this is so critical. Guys, have you got some thoughts? Uh, Johnny. I was just going to say, guys, go, Dave. Th- the way that we roll is that you just have to, when there's a quick half a second breath, you just have to, like, get in there. So don't, don't be shy. Just wave your hand or just start speaking. No, I, I'm just listening. <laughs> Johnny, got any thoughts? No, carry on, carry on. <laughs> See, what are you talking about? Just <laughs> given, given the invitation. It's like the two grumpy men at the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> We're probably, yeah, good, good cop, bad cop, eh, you know? <laughs> you got any thoughts? <laughs> nah. Do people have questions from what you've just heard from the four? Can we get a mic maybe down here in the middle so people... Yeah, cool. Awesome. Hello, hello. Uh, You said that Jesus didn't deal with sin, but he did say to the woman... um, What I meant was, yeah, he didn't didn't bring the message that John brought. So he'll talk about it, but John's commissioned to bring this message of repentance of water. Okay. And so then he, he's taking that. So yes, he will talk about it, but that's what John's commission was. yeah. And so then he's actually bringing this other kingdom message. So it's a, it's a, it's a stepping stone, isn't it? That's what it is. It's a stepping stone. So yeah, he, he talked about sin, but John was entrusted with this message. Jesus was entrusted with this message. But like either or, you'll see John talk about the kingdom of God. But it's not their main and I feel like that's a really, like a really good example, even to describe the the dynamic that's at play here. Because go and sin no more is the woman caught in adultery, eh? You know, and you see the Pharisees like dragging this <clears throat> woman in front of everyone and accuse her of being caught in adultery, and they say caught in the very act. I don't know what they were doing catching her in the act, you know. But I feel like they set um, her up, but. Yeah, but but here here are these here are these religious people who are deeply concerned about this woman's physical act of adultery, and yet here they are, the people who are supposed to be those who are representative of God, dragging this poor woman in front of everyone and exposing her in front of everyone. These are the people who are supposed to be demonstrating his kingdom, selfless, unconditional love to this woman. Mercy. And yet within them, there's no capacity in them to cover her to, to cover her sin and to love her like they're commanded to do. They're concerned about her physical sin. And Jesus actually addresses something that's so much deeper than her physical sin. Eh? He goes and he, he writes on the ground, and we don't know what he, he writes, but he, he says to them, he who's without sin be the first to cast a stone and while her sin was a physical one what was their sin 
she had physical adultery, what were they participating in right then and there in that moment? An adultery that was so much bigger and deeper than physical. They're supposed to be the ambassadors of God on the earth, living from love, and yet they're not living from love at all. And so her sin was physical. Her sin was physical. Their sin was spiritual because they weren't able to live out the the eternal covenant with him. And so he he says, who's got the uh, who's without sin be the first to cast a stone? And he exposes something that's so much deeper. And then he says to the woman, okay, go and sin no more. I am concerned about physical sin, but I ultimately actually. The, the reason why you're caught in physical sin is actually because you don't know the marriage covenant that I've come to make with you. And if you did, you wouldn't be actually trying to find your identity and your worth and your value in men. You'd be, you, you would have found it in me. And your physical adultery really is an expression of the fact that you just don't know. But the people who should have known, know and still didn't know, you know. And so mm-hmm. you, you see, there's, it's both, eh? It's, and he sets us free from sin. Absolutely yeah, it does. Understand. Absolutely yeah. it does. Yeah. But it sets us free not just from the physical act and the behavior. It sets us free in the heart from what it was that was, you know, motivating that kind of living in the first place. I think it just also, I mean, on a slightly different note, but it is the same thing. It shows you people operating in their lanes, but because it's an all thing, you actually can operate in both, can't you? So... I have a certain gift on my life, but I also can teach. But I'm not a teacher, but I'm called to teach. Yeah. So I'm not an evangelist, but I'm called to reach out to the lost. I'm called to share. So what you're seeing is Jesus' main mission was the kingdom of God. Now, he died for our sin and our iniquity and all that. That's great. Yes, he's doing that. He's going through that. But his main thrust was the kingdom of God because that was to be established on earth. Okay? Dying, rising uh, for your sin and iniquity doesn't establish the kingdom on earth. That's the start. And that's why John was the one that was coming to prepare the way for the king. But John also talked about the kingdom. Okay? So there's, there's specific tasks, assignments, works that God has that other people won't run in. But overall, they'll run in the same. Because we're all called to make disciples, Correct. So you, it's the two and the one, but it's actually one picked one one coin. Can you hear what I'm trying to say? So you can't excuse yourself out of going. Well, I'm not an evangelist. I actually love discipleship. And you may have a gracing to walk with the church more than the world, but you are still called to share your testimony in the world. But that might be two, and the others one. You may be an evangelist, but you are called to disciple. See, people go, I want to get people saved. There you go. You disciple them. It's one thing, but within the one, you can see the two. Okay? So that's really what I was saying. Melissa. <clears throat> Hopefully I don't chuck it. <laughs> choke on my nuts while I ask the question. <laughs> Thanks to Amanda's supplies. <laughs> Um, okay, can you just expand a little bit about evangelism in the workplace? Jeremy and I were talking about this last night or this morning, I can't remember. Um, like, what does evangelism in the workplace 
actually look like, as in, like, being the hands and feet of Jesus can versus... I, can we come back to that? Sure. So if we can hold that, maybe write that down. I just uh, want to stick in this one, this thing at the moment, yeah? Absolutely. Thanks. Sorry, guys. So the questions at the moment are in relation to, I know I slightly talked about evangelism there, but sort of this oneness thing, this marriage covenant yeah. thing. Can I just, just jump in there for just a second? Because this this thing of oneness, what, what does evangelism look like in the workplace? You're called to be my witnesses. You live looking for the person in the presence of Christ. And you live attending the presence of Christ. So he doesn't say that you'll, you'll go and you'll try and bring me into situations that I'm not in. And so evangelism in the workplace is actually a learning of oneness in Christ. No one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws them. So you're, you're looking, who is the Father exerting the power of the Spirit, drawing this person into Christ? And how do you serve that call of oneness? How do you witness what Christ is doing and bless it and serve it? It's not actually separate from oneness. Does that, does that kind of make sense or is that too brief? No, it makes sense. Because then it becomes wherever and whenever you are. Yeah. You're just attending Christ. You're witnessing Christ. You're looking, what does oneness with Christ for me look like in this situation? And it could look like speaking. It could look like silence. It could look like bold demonstration or it could look like meekly passing by because you're, you're just simply living, looking for where is Jesus? I'm one in him. So how, how do I witness him and respond to who he is in the moment? It, uh, to me, that's not a separate, a separate question, if that makes sense. Thanks, mate. Yes. I'm just going to uh, apologise, first of all, for the inadequacy of language in trying to talk about the things of God. Um, <laughs> I, I just wonder if, if, the, if there's been any consideration to the likeness between the, um, the oneness of the bride and the oneness and yet separateness of the Trinity, and that you've got something in the nature of God that wants both separateness and one unity, um, that somehow that something that doesn't cancel out things being different and yet doesn't cancel out unity, that something, it reflects who he is. Um, I don't quite know how to put it, um, but that they're, they're sort of related. And that, in fact, that it reflects the nature of God on, on, on earth. We're reflecting who God is and what he considers is important about his identity. So if I'm hearing correctly, um, I, I think really in this oneness, um, we, we also need to remember it's about the body united with the head. 
and, and, and let's even take it a little bit out of the, the marriage bride type of thing right now. Let's realize this, this, this uh, oneness is the head of Christ and the body. And, and I think we talked about a little bit yesterday was this reality that because you're one in the body, you are a, uh, a, a you expose or you illustrate or demonstrate a particular dynamic of God. I mean, God is so vast that not one of us could contain the fullness of who he is. But because of gifting, um, because of a measure of grace, because of a measure of faith that he's put in each one of us, being part of the body, when you do go out, yes, you are exhibiting uh, godly attributes, godly characteristics. You are, I think I said it yesterday, you are a specific piece or stamped image of God here on earth, if you will, that, that, that allows you to, for the, for the whole world to see. So um, I, I don't want to lose the value again of this, of the, of, of when we walk, when we become part of the body, each has its own gift, each has its own responsibility, each does its own thing. Each is just as important to show what God wants to show through each one of us. Yeah, I think the challenge once again is here, O Israel, the Lord is one. And so there's a hearing that's going to bring you into a faith where you can see as one all the multiples. But it's until you enter into that oneness that you actually make logical God's sense of the multiple. So God gives us multiple names to express us as a people, doesn't he? But it's actually just one. So he says, your saints. Well, are they different from sons? Are they different from bond servants? Are they different from the church? Are they different from the body? Are they different from the bride? Are they different from soldiers? Are they different from disciples? So he names and gives names for these people that in the multitude have a different expression because a soldier, the expression of a soldier is very different from the expression of a priest. But they're the same person. And the mystery of that is contained in the revelation of oneness. So when that enters into you, you're able to see the manifold wisdom, Jesus, as one. And then you live in accordance which doesn't minimize all the different aspects, all the different giftings, and you then know how to flow in the multitude as one. And that's the tension because it's a mystery that can't be figured out in the mind. It has to be heard. Then it has to be seen. So faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. So when the word of Christ is preached, the revealed word, and there is an ability to hear in the spirit that word, and then the Holy Spirit renews the mind, I now have faith in relation to what true oneness is. 
then I see the multiple expressions. But it's the same thing. You're called his possession. You're called Israel. The spiritual people of God, which Johnny talked about. There's no Jew or Gentile anymore. It's not male or female. You're a people of him. And your life is hidden in him. So as your life is hidden in him and grows in him, you see the manifold, you see what we call the diversity, but it's oneness in Christ. So then you know how to run with a teacher and not try to be a teacher. But teach. You know how to appreciate all the gifts in the body because you know their lanes because you can see everybody's lane and you don't get in their lane and they don't get in your lane. But actually, you're all running in the same direction. So you have an appreciation for every gift God has given in his son. And you know then how to flow in the way of him, which is one. Which means you have bodies, priests, saints, sons, the church, all the names, soldiers, all coming together as one, operating as one, moving as one, under the headship of Christ, which is he is the head of his people. So he's the head, and I personally have the living conviction that the most intimate relationship out of all those names is the bride, because that is the most intimate relationship on earth between a man and a woman, but it's not limited because it's intimate between Christ and his church, which is what Mal was demonstrating here. Which could be uncomfortable if we don't have the intimacy because if I walk at Sam and get nose to nose, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, all of a sudden we're starting to get a little bit uncomfortable in this. Nothing wrong with a holy kiss. It's in the Bible. Puck him up, mate. But spiritually, if we did it physically, Jeremy has done this. Me and Jeremy have done this. It's beautiful. And to be able to stay there. And Jaron was talking to me about this, about the hongi and what it means. And when he did it, he said people laughed. It was uncomfortable. And the guy that was teaching them said, you're going to do it till nobody laughs, nobody cracks up, no one's feeling awkward. And he said, how long would it take, Jaron, an hour or three hours? Is Jaron here? He's in Christ. I think it was like an hour or three hours where they couldn't do it until that. And he said it was incredible because the vulnerability, the transparency, the thing of like, my goodness, I'm nose to nose. I'm almost mouth to mouth. I'm head to head with a man and I'm hand to hand. And the man took them through what it all meant. He said it was powerful and it brought oneness. You know, David and Jonathan had a greater love than for a woman because they had a covenant which was spiritual, which they understood. And it's called the Commonwealth of Israel. But it's not a landmass and it's not a bloodline. It's a people of the Spirit. And we've confused that. And so we think Israel is actually a land. Is it a land? Yes, in the natural. Is Israel a people group? Yes, in the natural. But what is it in the Spirit? Because that's the people God's coming back for. And so the entire thing is wrapped up in your revelation of oneness that only God can bring you into because it is a great mystery. 
the fact he tells you it's a mystery is the reality of it's mysterious, but he wants to reveal it so it becomes your known reality. And until we're in that, the gifts will oppose each other. People will try to run in other people's lanes. People will esteem to be at the greatest position because we're all positional. Because we think if I make senior leader, I've arrived. If I make eldership, if I make it onto the music team, if I somehow get on the door, I've arrived. What? That is all flesh. And it destroys oneness. Can I just read, read this? Because this is in Ephesians 4, you know, and it starts by saying, you know, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all, but to each one of us, a grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts, you know. And then he goes on to talk about, you know, he gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the building up of the saints, for the work of service, um, to the building up of the body of Christ. Now listen to this. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to a mature man, to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What's the outcome of that? As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted together and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Oh, I was going to say, and it's stunning, eh? He says, you know, there's, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one spirit. And he says, actually, but, actually that, but from that posture, there comes this multifaceted expression with the five different gifts. But even in the diversity of the gifts, the, the diversity is given for the unity of the faith and the building up of the body as a mature man, you know? And and, and you can see it's a it's a oneness sandwich, eh? That, you know, it's like, it starts in oneness, but out of that oneness comes an expression that's not an individualistic expression. It's actually... To me, it's like a symphony, you know, where every part is actually playing the same tune, but you hear that actually all of the different parts only contribute to the to the one greater whole, you know? Because if you can imagine, you know, an evangelist, pastor, teacher, apostle, prophet, living for their own thing, man, you've got a recipe for such a chaotic, disastrous body, you know? But when, when the five are actually one, man, you, you've got a church that's powerful and that's dynamic because the different gifts don't need to try and conform to be like each other. Like a husband doesn't need to be a wife and a wife doesn't need to be a husband. That's the way of this modern age eh, is men need to become like women and women need to become like men. And if you want to succeed as a woman in business, you need to take on masculine attributes Man, that thing is is not his way. Actually, from this place of, 
of unity and oneness. You're empowered to be you and the best version of you. And we need the best version of ourselves, but not from this place of self. Um, I don't know. Even I don't even know what you call it. Um, where where you're living for you and your life revolves around you and your ministry and everything that you do is an expression of your own individuality. It's actually supposed to be an expression of the oneness of who he is in you that gets demonstrated through your life, your life, your, your gift, whatever it is. You know? If that's how you live, you're still operating from a spirit of independence. You're independent. You're interdependent. So you haven't been released from the spirit of the world. And so you channel everything through you, your lens. And that's why he says to you, you can lay hands on the sick. You can cast out demons. But if you haven't lost you and lost that spirit, I have no idea who you are. Now, I know you, but I know you don't know me. And I know you don't love me, even though you did all these things in my name. Okay? And that's a real challenge. Now, out of everything, the characteristics I've described, priests, sons, which one would be the first? Because there's an order to everything. Which one do you think is the first one you need to become? No. Bond servant. Jesus emptied himself. Why do you need to get emptied of the spirit of dependence? So you can actually become ultimately his bride. Because she will look like her groom. She will live exactly like her groom because he's marrying his equal. And this is the opportunity, and this is why maturity is critical. So he saves you out of darkness, brings you into light, and then you are to become the light of the world, the bride of Christ. I'll share this with you. You know I've shared with you that we have had demonic attacks in our home, correct? Do you know when those demonic attacks came? When God showed me everything I just articulated to you. So when God took me on that process for two years and started to unpack everything to me, dismantling me, putting me back together again, as soon as I saw the oneness is when the demonic attacked here in this church against me and in my home. Because the demonic saw, knew that I'd seen something I never should have seen. And my brother is not, sorry, my battle is not against flesh and blood. So the battles that I've had in this church, I know, are not through my brothers and sisters. It's been through the demonic. But it has come and it has used against to try and take out. I had a word from God on a Saturday morning, that was your character is going to be assassinated. Get up, pray, and send this word to that man on the screen, Mike Hewitson, and three other people. By Friday morning that week, it was on like Donkey Kong. Here. Now, the battle was not with flesh and blood, but I had a knowledge that others didn't, and I'm in a spiritual war with the church. But not the church, because my battle is not with my brothers and sisters. It was with the demonic. But I had a word. I got that word six, five days before it happened. So God prepared me for what was coming, because God prepares all things for when it turns up. 
you know in advance, so you're ready. Amen? Right. That night or that weekend, Madeline is crying out. No, sorry, that was the second time. You've heard the story. There's a demonic presence in Danny in my room. It's beside our bed, isn't it, hun? She's petrified, screaming. But the power in us is greater than the power that's in the room. So we dealt with it. The next night, Madeline is screaming. There's a black bat in my room, Dad, trying to rip out my heart. Like, this is what this goes to, guys. This is real. And when you start seeing and coming into a reality that's in Christ, that's in the unseen, it kicks off the spiritual battle. But the authority is here, so you don't have to fear this, but it is a real reality. So when I saw what I just said, because the Father was showing me his heart for what this is, and I've been speaking this for 11 years. Oneness, oneness, know him, know him, know him. Why? Because the bride, the bride, the bride, the bride. And Danny will tell you, that even kicked off in our own home when I started speaking this stuff. Because God's no respecter of relationship between a man and a woman if it gets in the way of here. So he loves this, but this must be first. And it doesn't mean everyone's all in the spirit, does it? We all know this in our marriages. If you're married and you're in your lives, hammer and tongs when spirit and flesh go together, correct? But the point is the spirit loves on the flesh. The flesh comes under, vice versa, both ways, and you have this thing called spiritual oneness. Oh, spiritual oneness. Oh, spiritual oneness. Oh, spiritual oneness. Because he's bringing you into oneness because you now see as he sees to the measure he's showing you, and you live as he can live. But that doesn't mean the people on earth understand it at all because they must come into it before they can live for it. This is what he has been doing here. He said, God, Greg, will you let me build my church here my way? Well, why wouldn't you? Okay. Okay. Um, my question is, um, you know how a lot of churches give themselves labels, like we're the Baptist church and denominations and things like that. Do you see that just as like a man-made construct and no place in the kingdom of God? Or is it perhaps a reflection of different aspects of his character that that church is moving in? I don't have the answer. Good question. Well, you guys want to this thing? Yeah, look, Sam mentioned before, I I have a, jo- a godly jealousy towards you because I betrothed you to one husband, Christ. And there's this reality of, like, I'll never forget being on staff at The Rock and, and you know, this is over a decade ago. And having really authentic, deep relationship with Greg and, and with Danny and Bex and I spent time in their home and, and they knew us from not being together to being together to being engaged to being married to really journeying through some of the spiritual attack that Greg was mentioning. And the Lord had called us to the rock and, and we were letting him build his church in all the ways that we knew how and his grace was covering us in all the ways that we didn't. But there was this sense of oneness that we had with Greg and Danny, and, and there was this sense of 
we live upheld by Christ alone, but man, it's nice when we're shoulder to shoulder with brothers and sisters. There's a there's an encouragement in that and a comfort in that. And I woke up one morning and it was a Tuesday morning and we used to have staff meetings at, at Tuesday lunchtime. And Bex felt led to just go to the rock early and, and spend some time praying with the Lord. And I got up and I went to take the dog for a walk on the beach. And I'm walking along the beach and I'm just listening. And the Lord says to me, I want you to resign today. And I say to him, okay, but how do I tell Bex she loves what we do? And I go home, take the dog home, have a shower, come, come to the rock walk straight into staff meeting, don't have time to talk to anybody about it, but I've got this sense of peace-filled urgency that I have to respond to the word of God. And so staff meetings coming on and, and I scribble on this piece of paper to Bex. The Lord told me that we need to resign uh, this morning and, and a couple of other things that he had said to me and I passed it under the table to her and she took one look at it and she looked at me and she smiled and she ticked everything and she handed it back. And we got out of staff meeting and, and we started talking. And while I had been walking along the beach, listening to the father, she had been sitting in the office at the rock, listening to the father. And the father had said to her, I want you to resign today. And she had said to him, but how do I tell Johnny he loves what we do? <laughs> and then together we went to Greg. And, and this is the, the point I feel like the spirit is trying to bring up is that we're under the authority of Christ, but the we don't dishonor the authority of Christ in one another. And so we came to Greg with, this is what we, we're not giving you a decision. I think the way we articulate it is that we're not telling you what we're going to do. We're offering you what we believe the Lord has said. And he sat and he listened to us and he didn't say a word. And then he looked at us when we finished and he said, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I don't want you to leave, but it's right. And so he blessed us in that moment to resign and to leave. And, and here's the, the thing that I, I believe what happens with the question of, of Baptist and, and, and the rock and the street and life church and Hillsong and all the things. It's incredibly difficult to create an entity and then not betroth people to that entity. So, we had been offered a position, a role in the community, which was a response to gifting, but Greg never betrothed us to that community. Greg and Danny were living, serving our betrothal to Christ. And so my preference would be that we just don't create those things because we actually don't need them. We're the called out gathered ones. You know, people say, I belong to the rock. No, you don't. You belong to Christ. If you belong to the rock, your identity is going to be built on a false foundation. Well people said. say, Greg is my leader. No, he's not. Christ is the leader and Greg demonstrates the leadership of Christ. But if he is purely demonstrating an apostolic reality, then it will point always to Christ the apostle and Christ the leader, never to Greg the apostle and never to Greg the leader. That's why he says, that's why Jesus says, don't let anybody call you leader. Don't let anybody call you father. Don't let anybody call you teacher. Demonstrate those realities. But the demonstration points to me and me alone because you've been betrothed to me. And so I don't, I'm yet to discover an environment where those entities have been created and upheld where there is a purity of betrothal to Christ. So I'm not saying they can't be, 
I'm just saying I'm yet to see a pure demonstration. And so when we came to the when we came to Greg and said, "Hey, in our betrothal to Christ, Christ is leading us to to leave." We don't know what to. We don't know what we're going to. And look, the oneness that we have demonstrates this because not once has Greg said to us, "Guys, you need to plant a church." Not once has Greg said, "Hey, guys, there's a revelation. There's a relationship that we have. We want to talk to you guys about planting the Rock South Africa." The conversation's never existed. Not once have I come to Greg and said, "The Lord has led us to." to this revelation of God places the lonely in families and there's the spirit of adoption that he's outworking and revealing through our lives. And we just really believe it's super important that every single person at The Rock adopts a child in New Zealand because that's God's heart. We don't do that. That's not what this relationship functions on. It functions on this like, I look at you and I see your betrothal to Christ. And I look at me and I see my betrothal to Christ. And so we have oneness in the betrothal. Doesn't matter whether the expression is South Africa, New Zealand, the rock or children doesn't, I mean, I don't know Dave personally, but his expression of betrothal is going to be different to ours. And yet we have the spiritual fellowship in Christ because it's not based on Baptist. It's not based on the rock. It's not based on David Lake Ministries, Arizona. But those things don't feature in our oneness. And so we're free to celebrate the unique expression of one another without asking anyone to spiritually adulterate themselves because they're being conformed to something other than Christ. You know, when, when, you, when you see the... Can you guys hear me? Yes, mate. Yep. Yeah. When you, when you see the, the real thing, and, and I'm right on board with what Johnny has just said, when you see the real thing, then the counterfeits that take on names, you really yeah. don't begin to pay attention to them. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, when I first uh, got saved, we were exposed to the charismatic church and we were, um, you know, demon casting, spiritual warfare to the nth degree because, and we, and we were in ministry that involved that. And, 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 and I know the reality of all of that stuff and, and where that is. But the more I get consumed with Christ, I find myself talking less and less about the devil. So good. And, 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 and that's not denying that anything doesn't exist. I, I have all the tools in the toolbox to do what I need to do. But you become so consumed with that which is real, with that which is true, that you you just kind of watch the counterfeit stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's there. I know. But you just don't give it any credit because you're just so consumed with the light. And so, uh, Johnny, wonderful, wonderful explanation because I, I, I agree 110%. Awesome, guys. It sort of leads into this question. I thought just question four, why is oneness of spirit? No, sorry, question five. What is the difference between unity of spirit and conformity of flesh? What is the difference between unity of spirit and conformity of flesh? Sam. Yeah, it feels, it feels like those words is, you know, sounds so similar but they're so worlds apart eh? you know and I think to, to me um, unity of the spirit is ha- 
is having one heart and one mind, whereas conformity of the flesh is trying to look like someone else externally, you know, and so it can take on so many different forms, it can be physically, it can be putting on a tropical shirt to come and preach at the rock on a Sunday morning, because that's the kind of the, the fashion style here. That's know? Paul Costello, mate, I wear bananas. <coughs> Sorry, mocking the bananas, but you know, like there can be an, a pressure to somehow mould to fit the environment that you're in, but that's physical. I feel like that's far less subtle, but what can be more subtle is actually me needing to feel like, because Greg has a gift on his life, that I somehow need to perform and behave in the same way that he is. And so what that can look like is is trying to, is trying to play his role as opposed to actually from Christ and me being everything that I can be and bringing my part and doing what it is that he's placed on my life well that would actually complement as, as opposed to um, somehow manipulate to try and ha- have the same external image, you know? And so to me, you know, there's a, there's a massive difference between true spirit-birthed unity, which is that you're of one heart and one mind, while there might be a, a, an, a, a different external expression. And to me, the, the difference is, is one is ornate, authentic, and organic. It comes from the spirit, and it's birthed from him in you, that you, you're not told or shown what to do. You just do, and you just live, and you just be because of him in you. The other one is that you're always looking for your cues from someone else or from what someone else is saying, and you're constantly thinking how you need to be in a certain way. And if you're living from conformity, you'll ask questions like, how do I do this? How do I do? How do I be? Because you actually don't have a reference point within you for what an authentic expression of unity and oneness with him looks like. And so you're always looking for an answer externally to try and... um, behave in a certain way and actually like like Greg said this morning that the answer and the how-to is actually him in you and because and if we know him in us then there'll be an expression of oneness with him that's not conformity it's unity but it may take a different physical form and so that that's me and as that happens you conform to the image of Christ don't you not the image of man or the image of a work, but it's the image of Christ. So there is a conformity, but it's into the image of the Spirit, because you're in the Spirit. And I think the challenge for the church is, the church thinks by having an event, then there is unity. But that's not what unity is based on. Even when we say to gather in his name, we think there's unity, but not necessarily. Because it's on condition of knowing the name. So the name about and the name of is two different realities. So there's not a oneness. And so this is the challenge for us. And it, this, is, this, is, this is this taking us from maybe being a people who are two into a people who are one. And so this is, I think, the greatest challenge for the church because in my 22 years of following Christ... It's based mainly in the church around achieving a common goal. And so we try to win people to unity over a common vision. 
And even that's back to front because vision is sight. So we even confuse vision and purpose. So vision is the ability to see that faith is associated with. Then you live a purpose, which is Romans 8, which is being conformed into the image of the Son of God. So it has nothing to do, ultimately vision and purpose has nothing to do with works. It has everything to do with the ability to see the purpose of God for the church, which is Romans eight twenty eight to 31, that we would all be conformed into the image of the Son through the Holy Spirit. Then we're actually going to do the works that God has prepared for us before time that he leads and empowers, which is what Dave was saying the other day. Not any works. But the challenge is, is we don't know how to do that. So we what, create. What, could, could you not say, I'm sorry, because, um, but could you not say that the pandemic worldwide enabled, it was almost God using this to stop the works mentality because it caused us not to be able to meet. Uh, and it really caused your walk to be more focused on what it was supposed to be. So I'm mean, just adding to what you're saying there is, is that really God in his mercy, if you will, gave us this time for things to stop so that those who are true followers of him end up refocusing because they didn't, they, I didn't lose anything by, by what happened here. My walk with God was just wonderful anyway. So it just looked a little different. But there was a lot of people who got separated out of that. And there was other people who God says, hey, you were looking at the wrong thing. You, you, you had prioritized that which was wrong. So continue. But I think that that has to be – we need to realize and, and see what God has done these last two years to to get us ref, uh, the church or his body refocused on what it needs to be, and that's the beauty of what you just said. We need to see what God has done, because for me, the difference. The question was, what is the difference between unity of spirit and conformity of flesh? It's the power source. Unity of spirit is something that happens to you. Like you, you literally. The, the sovereignty and this love and the Jesus as Lord and master and lover and king comes and seizes you. And you literally live in this reality of where else can I go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. I am stuffed for anything else. And unity of spirit happens to you. Conformity of flesh happens by you. You have to exert yourself, but unity of spirit, you have to yield yourself and you don't even know how to yield yourself because you try and move and surrender and then you realize that your surrender is not adequate. And so you have to just come back to Jesus and give permission to him as master, not me as, as follower, the values on his loving lordship, not my servanthood. I am a slave to Christ. I'm a bond servant to Christ, but the value is not on that because he chose me first. I didn't choose him. And so true unity, like, for the last 10 years, I've not once thought, how do I have unity of spirit with you people in the room? I've honestly mm. not asked that question. Not once. It's not in my framework of thinking because as, 
how do I, I'm the clay, he's the potter. I'm the defined, he's the definer. Mm -hmm. I'm the created, he's the creator. And so as soon as it's like, how do I, I'm kind of starting in the wrong place. How does he? And then, yes, Mm -hmm. I have to respond. I have to step in. He comes to the door. He knocks. I have to open the door. But it's him that comes in and dines with me. It's not me that pursues. But as he comes in and dines with me, there's a power within me to go and sit down at his table. How does that work? (laughs) There's this beautiful reality of unity of the spirit happens to you. And it's his work. It's beautiful. And um, I don't want to put someone on the spot, but just as a testimony, I just can you just share maybe the oneness that we have and just from that day that we met um, and just what was going through you? Is that okay? This is Selwyn, everyone, from Kaitai. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so for me... Um, um, I met Greg, uh, how many years ago was that? Um, mate? About three and a half. Three years, eh? Three yeah. and a half years. Um, just had a men's, I think it was a men's barbecue. <clears throat> uh, my heart was, I'd been through a whole lot of turmoil within the body of Christ, um, stuff that was out of my control, a lot of it. But uh, my heart was trying to seek a sound or a new of a reality, but I couldn't put my hands on it. And then... Uh, I met Greg at this barbecue. There was about 30, 35 of us. It's quite a big group of guys. And I went along because I was a part of a, I was going to a church then. And um, Greg was the was the speaker that morning. I, I had never heard him before or, or met him. I just knew he was a speaker. So I went to the barbecue, seeing him outside. And as I do, I'm, I'm pretty, um, I'm not shy. Uh, to talk to anyone, if I'll just go and talk to anyone because you know to, that's just my makeup. And I went over and said hello, and then I think we started to discuss or just talked, and it was within a it was instant. Something inside of me just stood up, like for a long time. Um, the, the spirit man inside of me, the spirit inside of me was really, uh, I guess there was a lot of hurt and a lot of. Stuff I couldn't really describe, but when we, when I, he opened his mouth, it was like it's like in the Bible uh, with Mary, and then the uh, something moved, and it was like just through a conversation, something just stood up and came alive for the first time in a long time. I knew that there was something in this conversation, and then within 15 minutes of talking, the group slowly went inside, and for about two hours. We met the. He was the guest speaker. He was meant to be in there, talking with everyone else, but him and I he just started to engage and um, and and that felt that connection, that oneness straight away. It was something I couldn't really couldn't put words to at the time, but I just knew I had to be uh, connected to that and discover what that looks like going forward for us as and for myself as well. So it's been it's been a powerful experience, and that's why I feel. Uh, the way I feel here, it's like people have asked me already, um, oh, what church do you go to? I say, oh, The Rock. And they, they, they look at me, they've looked at me like, ah, uh, The Rock. You do Kai Tai? I say, yeah, The Rock. <laughs> it's but like, yeah. Um, yeah. But so I dial in every week just because I, I, I connect to the word, the word that he carries and also the word 
in itself. And so, no, it's been a real blessing. And I'm content, you know, I just I feel so content, whatever God wants to do. When you, when, you know, I haven't been in that place before. I've always tried to do things, tried to work things out, tried to grab. It's just like God's to say, just chill, man, you know. Stay connected to him and then to what you're hearing because it'll come, you know, so. Thanks, bro. You know, and the crazy thing, it was an instant connection. Not because we knew one another. I'm meeting this man for the first time. But it was the Christ in him. And the Christ in me that went, dong. And instantaneous, there was a door that was opened. To be able to just continue to release both ways. But the unity of the spirit was because of the Christ in Cell and the Christ in me were drawn to one another. And yet there was a whole lot of people in the room, a whole lot of other people I had conversations with that didn't have that connection. And I'm not saying that ain't the spirit in them, but there was an instant connection. And this is the challenge because we think oneness comes through knowing each other physically. And it's not. It's about knowing him. You don't need to know one another. You don't actually need to know one another's lives. You need to know him. I'm not saying, okay, it's not important to know people, but what I'm saying is that's not where oneness is built. And it releases you, see? Because the challenge is if this is all built on physical friendships, what happens if the friendship hurt happens in the friendship, breaks the friendship? It's the same in a marriage. If your fellowship is based on friendship, you're in trouble. It needs to be built on fellowship with Christ, not one another, Christ. It's the strength of your relationship in Christ that enables you to live in this marriage covenant that can at times be like World War X because there's flesh and spirit in it, but God wants spirit and spirit. And then there's a design there's a order in which that works, isn't it? But one can't live out the order if one doesn't have fellowship with the Christ. There's no way I can love Danielle the way I'm instructed. I'm commanded to love her with the love of heaven. I cannot do that unless I'm in divine oneness with my Father. Correct? It's impossible. And she cannot align her life to me unless she's in fellowship with the Father. So we just coexist as two. And we're missing out on something absolutely divine as a couple. But if she's in a love and a fellowship with the Father, she's not missing out. And this is why it's not about a physical marriage. But if you are in a physical marriage, you need to come into the reality and learn what it is because otherwise you're missing out on something God has for you for one another. And so, you know, you survive your marriage rather than thrive. I don't want to survive. I never have. I want to thrive. But with that comes a challenge. Because unless two agree, how can they walk together? And that's just not in function. That's in relationship. That's in divine fellowship. So unless we all agree... How can we walk together into oneness and growing in oneness and being perfected in oneness? We won't. There'll be two kinds. All in the same family, but two kinds. 
And this is the church's challenge, yeah? But it's an opportunity to become a people that a world look at because we have the same mind, same spirit, same love, same purpose. It's impossible in us. It is impossible in us. Fully possible if we will all lose us and lay hold of him. Last question uh, before we maybe have some questions from the floor. Yeah. God doesn't have a watch. <laughs> Someone said that. Amen. Guys, what aspect of this truth of oneness would you like to leave us with and have us ponder? in relation to being perfected in unity. If there's one thing you guys can leave us with going into this afternoon and the week, what would be the thing that you could leave us with to chew on, to marinate in? You know, I, I, the key, I guess, is knowing God. Uh, I, I, you know, to me, it, it's it's not over, not overcomplicated, but the unity... Of, of of oneness, the unity of spirit is going to come out of you knowing God, because in knowing God, you're going to be changed. You, you can't be in the presence of God and not be changed. It, it, there's no possibility of that not ha- of that happening. So, you know, my always encouragement is going to be uh, know God and 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 watch watch what God does. Watch how. God brings those that 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 spirit of unity around. Uh, watch yourself disappear because suddenly you realize, I, apart from Christ, I really don't have enough to much to bring here. And 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 living and being okay with that aspect. So, uh, to me, again, the the most valuable thing would be would be to know God. Thanks, Dave. Mister Gilling, really. Um... I know that that there's been a lot of conversation about um, a lot of articulation of what it means to be in Christ. And, you know, Ephesians chapter 1, I think, references directly or indirectly being in Christ 14 or 15 times and then the fruit that comes from being in Christ. And then a little bit later on in Ephesians 4, it says, So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him, and have been taught in him just as truth as a, is in Jesus. And I was sitting with the Lord several months ago. And when we look at this thing of unity, we have the authentic and we have the counterfeit. We have the pure and we have the deformed. And the Lord said to me, um, our current 
spiritual deformities reveal historic spiritual abortions where we try and do unity because the the perspective of unity hasn't been formed within us in the womb of Christ. And we haven't been taught in Christ. And you hear this come out over and over again. Greg mentioned it before. For you yourselves have no need of anyone to teach you anything for the anointing that abides within you teaches you all things. Again, test everything. Not, not an exhortation to test through your knowledge of doctrine, but to test through your communion. Does this come from the womb of Christ? And we as a church decry abortion on the earth, and yet we suffer from the very same thing in spirit, where somebody has been being formed in the womb of Christ, and somebody else has reached in and grabbed them and tried to rip them out because of some deformed perspective of oneness and unity. And and the thought that I would I feel that that he wants to leave is that oneness can only happen by being in the womb of Christ, and then at the time that is right, that you don't, the baby doesn't decide when to get born, the baby doesn't be like, sweet, I'm ready, and and the womb is a beautiful, comfortable place, but it's also an uncomfortable place because every other voice is muffled. You can't really hear, but you feed. <laughs> You don't know what you're about to be born into, but you're growing to be ready to be born into that purely to carry on right formation in the public because you've been perfectly formed in the hidden. And I would exhort you to, if you don't know oneness in the spirit, be blessed to be taken back to the womb of Christ. It's completely impossible in the physical. If a baby comes out deformed, you can't pop it back in the womb of the mother, but it is completely possible in Christ that if you're living in spiritual deformity and you don't, you don't, you know, Greg just said before, we have to all agree, but that's not an exhortation to figure it all out and agree in doctrine. Agreement is just the fruit of mutual submission. We, we, we agree because I see Jesus leading you and you see Jesus leading me and it looks way different and maybe he's doing different things and the womb is forming us in different ways, but I see that it's Christ. And I would just encourage you if, if this is something that, um, if, you, if, you're, if you're listening to this and, and you're like, eh, it doesn't make sense, I kind of don't know what's being spoken, it's, it's confusing, Greg said this, but Johnny said that, Sam said that, but David said that, like doesn't fit together, just bless him to put you back in the womb. And then there'll be this moment of birthing where you're birthed to the outside and oneness, you continue on in this journey of growing and oneness in the public, having been perfectly formed in the private. And I would just encourage you in the womb of Christ. Awesome, guys. Thanks heaps. Does anyone have one burning question? I want it to be burning on your heart that you'd like to ask these guys in relation to anything that you've just heard this morning or Sam. Nope. Going once, going twice. Okay, that's awesome. Guys, thanks for joining us this morning. Let's show our appreciation to these guys. It's awesome.